you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in the pew in front of you. Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you. Their gods will become snares to you. Just a little parenthesis here. I think what God is saying to the angel is, I'm not going to do for you what I've called you to do. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochum. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Today we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper, and I will share a little bit more about that when the time comes after the invitation this morning. But what that means for us today is that we do not have Kingdom Kids, which is our ministry to those who are four years old through second grade. We will resume that next week. But we want the kiddos to be a part of the Lord's Supper service for them to, some of them have been baptized and are ready to take the Lord's Supper. Others are not at that place yet, but it's good for them to see what's happening in the Lord's Supper and to go home and ask questions about that and, and begin to learn about the significance of the Lord's Supper. So we invite them to stay, which means you may hear a few more noises and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, we welcome the noises, don't we? We are so glad that we are a church filled with uh, young and mature. I won't say old. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But we are so glad that we have a church that is for everyone. Uh, so we're in the book of Judges because we are reading through the Bible together. And you have read this past week the first, uh, I think, six chapters of Judges. And you have read about Gideon. And you may be wondering, that is such a significant story. Why will we not be covering Gideon today? And that's because I'm going to cover it next week. You kind of got to pick and choose. And I do want to cover Gideon. But I really want us to take a look at how we got to this place in the story of God's people. How they went from being chosen out of their land of Abraham, given a covenant promise that they would become a nation from which God would bless the whole world, into slavery in Egypt, out of slavery, wandering through the desert, coming up to the promised land, losing their leader Moses, but seeing Joshua take his place, and now reading about the death of Joshua and what takes place next as they are setting up their future in the land of Canaan, what we call the promised land. Uh, much of what you would see on the map today is Israel. How did we get here? Um, and so I, I mentioned this by way of passing because if you haven't been following along in the Bible reading plan, I really want to encourage you to do so. I'll say a little bit more about why here in a few minutes. But we did create a little bit of an addendum 
if, uh, because we were going to read through the, Old Te- the New Testament three times, and we were going to read the same books, but we were skipping a bunch of them. And I really didn't like that plan. We kind of adapted a plan from another uh, organization. So what we decided we would do is make a little adjustment to that plan. And so we are going to read all of the New Testament books through at least once. And if you want to follow along with that adjustment to the plan, Amy has printed these out, and you can pick them up in the foyer. If you want them hole-punched and put into your handout, because uh, you just kind of operate that way like me. Just bring it up to the church. We'll take the staple out, hole punch it, and get it into your binder if you like. But if you haven't been following along, don't let that stop you. Pick up the reading plan and just pick up on today. Just start following today. You'll notice that we're preaching out of one of those books, a few of those chapters each Sunday. And, and as you have time, just start to read from January 1st because it's dated, right? You can just start to read from January 1st as you have time, and eventually you will get caught up. A great, uh, a great resource for that is the Bible app. You can actually listen to the Bible on the Bible app for free. costs you nothing. As you're driving down the road or you're walking at the park or whatever, you can just pull up that Bible app and start listening. And pretty soon, I promise, you'll get caught up to where we are as we uh, enter into the book of Judges. And we will be exiting the book of Judges in a few weeks, so we're not going to be here long. But I want to just kind of take a look at how these judges came to be put in their place after losing their leader, Joshua. And with that in mind, I don't know what I do with my sermon notes, y'all. May have to wing it. Oh, here they are. Whew. That was a close one. That was a close one. You thought, well, this is going to be a short sermon. Never underestimate a preacher to go long-winded even without notes. But I found them. So don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I think one way to just look at what's happening in the life of Israel is through one word, and that word is influence. What is influence? How did it interact with these leaders and people of Israel? And that directly corresponds to our lives because there are things that have the power of influence in our lives. And so I want to talk about Two things. One, who has influence in our lives that really shouldn't? And number two, who should have influence in our lives, but they don't? So that's where we're going. So we're going to pause here and pray. If you would, join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this chance to be together, to worship you in song, through our gifts, tithes, and offerings. To worship you through the message, to worship you through the Lord's Supper. This, this whole day is about you. But you call us into this day. You call us into Sundays to prepare ourselves for the week ahead that we might be rightly oriented around you. And so I pray, Father, that you would do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. Draw us close to your son, Jesus, that we might be like him. And for those who don't know him, that they might embrace him as their Lord and Savior. But let today, all of today, be centered on you. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm coming around to the idea of using sunscreen. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't really like to use sunscreen. And Marsha is always trying to convince me to use it. And whenever we go to the beach or we're going to be outside for a long period of time, I feel like I don't need it. Now, you know what happens after that. After a sunny day, you figure out pretty quickly Uh, As you husbands often do, your wife was right. You know what I'm saying? 
and you realize I should have used that sunscreen, or we go to the beach with the kids or whatever, and we say, well, they don't need sunscreen. It's not that. It's overcast. It's cloudy today. No big deal. And then you have to listen to crying for, you know, two to three days about the sunscreen they have. And I was thinking about that sunscreen. You know, it's the thing you, you put on to protect you from outside influences like the sun. And if you don't wear that sunscreen, you're going to get burned if you're exposed enough to the sun, right? I think that says something about influence. Like if we don't, if we're not cautious about the things that influence us, we can get burned by the things that shouldn't influence us. And we are not benefited by the things that should influence us. Now, the book of Judges tells us the story of God's people who have entered now into the land that he has promised them. And one of the big things God says to them is, listen, you cannot let these people here influence you. They are worshiping foreign gods. Some of these gods are pretty nasty. The God of Baal that you would have read if, if you had read uh, through the first few chapters of Judges, you would have come across the name of a god named Baal, it means Lord. It's the god that the Canaanites who inhabited that land worshipped. They believed that Baal was, was the one who gave life. He was the fertility god and the rain god. And in fact, he was, if they were to draw a picture or you'd see a statue of the god Baal, which again means Lord, you'd see him standing on top of a bull. You would have seen a storm cloud was his chariot in some way it indicated his voice was thunder and his spear was made of lightning as well as his arrows it's a powerful god a god that would be worshipped if you want children you want more kiddos you worship Baal Baal's the one who provided that you want more crops to feed all those kids take care of your people you worship Baal uh, likewise there was a female deity named Ashtoreth that was the wife of Baal. And she was pictured as a beautiful goddess of war and fertility. So again, if you go to war and you want to win, who do you worship? You worship the wife of Baal, Ashtoreth. If you want your animals to have children, you want more calves and more lambs and all that good stuff. What you need, you could worship the god of Ashtoreth. And the way they would go about this was, was pretty, you know, it was very sinful. Uh, the most extreme example of which is if you were worshiping these gods, they might require sacrifices of varying degrees. And, you know, if you weren't just cutting it with your sacrifice, you know, you bring a, a slice of bread, you realize, well, you know, we didn't get more rain this week. With a slice of bread, we got to go to a loaf of bread. And it could get to the point where people would actually throw their children into the fire. And this is a terrible, horrible, ugly thing. And this is what God's calling them out of. Saying, this is why you can't let these people influence you. Because this is what they do. And you don't need to be influenced by them. You need to influence the world. Which means you need to be following me, not them. And so he tells them from the very beginning as they're entering into the promised land, you got to kick these people out. You got to go to battle, you got to go to war, you got to drive them out. Because if they stay in the land, they're going to have an influence on you that is not at all good. And what we find is exactly what God warned them not to do is what they do. 
they figured out pretty quickly, you know, these people kind of like living here. This actually is a pretty great place. There's a reason they call it the land flowing with milk and honey. This is, this is a nice place, and, and they don't want to leave. And they're making it difficult to remove them. And some of them say, you know, it's just easier. We'll just we'll let our kids marry their kids. We'll just get along. We'll work together. We'll, they'll worship our God, but we'll worship their God too. And, you know, we'll just make it work. We'll just compromise and make this all work because it's just too difficult. It's too messy to kick them out. So exactly what God ta- told them not to do is what they do. And so they begin to allow the people of the land to influence them in negative ways. And this becomes the story of Judges. That the people of God rebel against God, worshiping other gods. God punishes them, disciplines them. Why? To bring them back around. Not out of hatred, not to destroy them, but he disciplines them as a father disciplines his child because the father loves his child and wants to see his child make better decisions. And how is that going to happen if there is no discipline? And so that's what God does. And in the story of the judges, you find this cycle where people leave God behind to worship false idols. They get themselves into trouble. They cry out to God, and God sends along a leader, a judge, to bring them back to him. And on the front end of this story, we read that their leader Joshua dies. And after him and all those who followed him, we read what I have said before is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another way of saying they died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They left God behind and fully embraced an influence in their lives that led them far, far away from God. So here's our two questions I posed at the beginning. We're talking about influence. Who has influence in our life but shouldn't? Obviously, for the Israelites, the influence they had in their life, but they should not have allowed in their life, were the people who existed in the land before them that worshipped these foreign gods that were false gods that required and asked of them horrible, ugly, and even dangerous things. But that question can be turned back to us. That's where it gets a little uncomfortable, I think. Who has influence on us that should not have influence on us? Whether it's from the world of entertainment, those who musics we listen to, movies we watch, shows we watch. Maybe those on the news stations, whether it's radio or TV or podcasts. Maybe it's people we follow on social media. Or it might be flesh and blood friends or relatives. But how do you know that someone is having a negative, ungodly influence in your life? You can just simply ask this question. Are they walking towards Jesus Is that what they're trying to do? Are they trying to be like Christ? We all fail at that. I mean, it's not that they're perfect. But is that their goal? Are they striving to be like Jesus? Because if they're not striving to be like Christ, then what other influence could they have on my life besides an ungodly influence? I don't think if you want to know what, what what would Jesus look like, just go read the 
Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get in, in just a few, few hours of reading, you'll get a clear picture of Jesus and then just say, okay, the people who I allow influence in my life, do they look like him? And if the answer is no, then I'm not suggesting you cut those people out of your life. I don't think that that would be a, a wise decision most of the time. There's always exceptions to every rule. But I find in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Corinth and he says, you know, the problem is not the ungodly people who live ungodly that you associate in your lives. It's the people who claim to be godly that you allow to have influence in your life. That's the trouble. Those who you allow to have influence in your life that claim to be Christians. This comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I'm saying don't, don't associate with immoral people, but I'm not talking about the people of this world. I'm talking about those who claim to be a brother or sister but are still living immoral lives. They're not striving to be like Jesus. Because that's where it can get very confusing when someone says, I'm a Christian, but they don't live like a Christian, and now we've let them in. Now we let them have an influence on our life. The question isn't about who we associate with or spend time with, though that's part of it. But the bigger question is, who do we let influence us? And we all experience this, right? Whether it's friends or family, if you, if you spend a lot of time with someone and, and you allow them to have influence in your life, pretty soon you'll use words that they use, you'll dress as they dress, you'll listen to the music they listen to, watch the shows that they watch. And this can be for good or bad, but if they're not pursuing Jesus, then the question is answered. Who has influence in our life but shouldn't? Those who are not pursuing Jesus doesn't mean you cut them out of your life. It just means you say, I won't let them influence me. Now, the second question is, who doesn't have influence in my life but should? From the standpoint of, you know, children and students, think about your parents. If you have godly parents who are pursuing Jesus, they should have influence in your life. But sometimes, you know, when you're at that age, you just kind of want to do your own thing. and You kind of push them away a little bit. Some of that's very natural and just part of development. You gotta, you're growing into becoming your own self. But if you have godly parents, they should have an influence in a godly way in your life. You don't want to push them away too far. You've got to work on that independence and learning for yourself, how to take responsibility and so on. But to let them have a godly influence on your life, to miss out on that, would be a terrible thing. See, parents are, are, are commanded to train up their children. We read that in Proverbs 22.6. Fathers in particular are, are, are commanded to train and instruct their children in the Lord. Ephesians 6. Those parents, myself included, we are given a role to be a godly influence in our children's lives. And children... Young or old, if you have godly parents, listen to them, right? And every parent says, amen. I knew, you were, I knew you were paying attention. All right, good. Who else? Well, our friends, of course. We want godly friends in our life that are pursuing Jesus to have an influence on us. I think that's uh, in part why we are told in Scripture to choose our, tr our friends wisely. We read that in Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully. The opposite side of that is Paul warns that good, a, a good character is corrupted by bad company in 1 Corinthians 15. Our friends, uh, you've heard this said before, 
Show me your friends, I'll show you the trajectory of your life. Friends are that important and have that much say in our lives. The closer they become to us, the more influence they have. And if they're pursuing Jesus, they are an incredible gift and resource to our spiritual lives. And let me just say as a plug, by the way, a great place to begin to develop spiritual friendships with people who are pursuing the same goal of being like Jesus is within a small group. It's not the only place, but as a church, that's what we promote. Small groups where you get together, study the Bible, pray together, and seek to be like Jesus together. Parents, friends, but of course, who's the most important person who should be influencing our life? You probably already thought about this and thought, you know, when are you going to get on to mentioning God? Right? He's the, he's the hero of the story. He's the one that should have the most influence on our life, and yet he is the one who has the least influence in Israel's life, and that's what makes Judges chapter 2, verse 10 so very sad. And remember, I recounted the story quickly from God taking Abraham and Sarah and the covenant promises out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. God has been faithful to his covenant. God has been loving his people who often were not faithful to him. This is the being who should have the most influence in our lives, and this is the one they forgot. After a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. When we know the Lord, when we know who he is, know meaning an experience of truth with God. Not just head knowledge of truth and not just an experience void of truth. An experience based in the truth of who God is. When we have that kind of knowledge of God, what we find in God is that he is a good God. Who loves us. When we know that we have a God like that, what's our response? To love him back. God who loves us. God who chose us. We love back. And when we love someone, what do we want to do? We want to please them. Anyone you love, you want, anyone who you deeply, deeply love, you want to please them. And in the language of the Bible, of course, what does that mean? It means... We seek to obey him. So here's how it works. We want God to be the greatest influence in our life as Christians. How do we make that happen? And here is the case. I've heard this said before. This is not original to me. But I think it is true that the more we know God, the more we will love God. And the more we love God, the more we will obey God. This is how godly influence works in our life. And it starts with the knowledge of God. This is why we're encouraging you to read your Bible. Because this is where you're going to find the pure truth about God. Now, God, the truth about God can come to us in several ways. You can learn about the truth of God in nature. You can learn about the truth of God from others. You can learn the truth about God from, from uh, experiences. But the truth about God that trumps all other things is to know God through the Bible. That's where we read God's word to us. And when we're reading God's word to us, what are we gaining? We're gaining a knowledge of God. Hopefully an experiential knowledge of God because the word of God itself tells us that it's active and alive. 
It's not a, a dead book that we read from a dead author. We're reading a living book from a living author who breathed it into existence, yes, through human beings, but still it is God's word to us. And when we're reading it, we are handling God's word speaking to us. This is why it's so important to read our Bibles, because when we do, we are growing in an experiential knowledge of God. And as we grow to know God more and more and more, we will love God more and more. Because what we're learning about God is that he is a God of love. And when we know that God loves us, how can we not love God back? And when we love God, how can we not want to please God with our life? Sadly, this is not transpiring in the life of Israel. They are worshiping foreign gods. They are letting other gods have influence in their life. And they are forgetting, leaving behind the God of their fathers and forefathers. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're leaving them in the dust to chase after these other gods. Because they allowed those other gods and these other people whom they did not remove from the promised land to have influence on their life and becoming less and less like God. But when we know God, we love God. And when we love God, we want to obey God. This is how godly influence works. And I think one of the great ways that we know God, that we see God in Scripture, is to see who Jesus is. How do we know God? We read about him in the Bible. But there's something unique and special about seeing Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. While being totally human, he is also totally divine, totally God. That's why sometimes we talk about him as being God in the flesh. And to see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to know who God is. Jesus said this about himself. We were actually, we kind of talked about this verse a little bit in our small group today. But after Jesus has told his disciples what's about to happen to him, that he's going to die, though he will rise again, he says to them, in John chapter 14, verse 7, if you really know me, then you will know the Father as well. Later on in that same passage, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. To know Jesus is to know what God is like. And when you know Jesus, you know this, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but could not. Jesus died the sacrificial death that we should die, but in him we do not. Jesus rose from the dead to conquer sin and death to give us a victory that we could not earn and did not. When we see that this Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father, and we know something about this God, that this God would step out of perfection into human history, to suffer and die for us. To know that that's who God is. I can't help believe, but if we truly experientially know that. Not just a head knowledge about that. But in our whole being, we've embraced that truth. That this is God, Jesus in the flesh, dying for me. My heart is warm towards God. God is no longer distant. 
God's not an angry, punishing God that only seeks to destroy those who disobey him. Does he get angry? Yes. Does he discipline? Yes. Is there a hell? Yes. But why did he come? Because of love. That's why Jesus comes into the world. And when I know that, I see he has loved me. I can love him. And when I love him, I want to obey him. I want to do what pleases him. Because this is an incredible God who chose me, who, who knows me, who made me. And so this is how God can become a great influence in our life. But like for the Israelites, God says, listen, I'm going to go with you. I'm in, I'm in it with you. You're not fighting this battle alone. But you have to take the steps. You have to say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I trust that Jesus is enough. I want him to be in charge of my life. You have to choose that. You have to choose every day to wake up and open your Bible and read it and pray and talk to God. You have to choose who you will allow to influence your life and either draw you closer to Jesus or drive you further away. You have to make a decision. God will not make this decision for you. We choose what will influence us. And as we talked about last week, what is our life but a series of choices? So the question for you this morning, as we enter into a time of invitation and then into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper is, what will you choose? And here's what, here's what I'm thinking. Can you identify some sources of influence in your life that is not making you more like Jesus? Let me get... Let me step on some toes a little bit, okay? Because I'm, you know, just as guilty. But, you know, I, I like to listen to podcasts. I like to listen to news. I like to find out what's going on in the world. All of that comes to me through a personality, through people that are either driving me to be like Jesus or the way they talk about those on the opposite side of the political aisle looks nothing like Jesus. There's people on your social media feed. That you will follow, and after reading what they write, you get really angry. And it's not a righteous anger. It's a self-righteous anger. It doesn't look like Jesus turning over temples. It looks more like, you know, John and James wanting to send down lightning on top of people who do not follow Jesus, if you know that story. Is there something in your life, are, are there people, are there influences in your life that are not leading you to be like Jesus? If not, would you choose today to say, I'm going to set those things aside. I don't want those things driving me further from being like Christ. And that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking the invitation is, is really going to be about, at least in part, is that you might feel conviction from the Holy Spirit that there are some things that, that are influencing you that aren't encouraging you to be like Jesus at all. Maybe it's time to set those things down. And on the positive end of things... There's some ways in which God should be influencing your life that you've resisted. Or maybe you've become complacent about. And it's time to re-engage that. Whether it's your own devotions with the Lord, reading and praying. Or maybe it's engagement with Christian brothers and sisters who are going to help you become like Christ. And who you can help become like Jesus. Maybe it's stop resisting the godly parents God has placed in your life and start listening to them. Whatever it is. That there's some positive things, positive steps God is wanting you to take to help you to become more like Christ through Jesus-like influences.
What is it? And what choice will you make? That's what I ask you to respond to this morning as we come to the Lord in a time of invitation. Would you pray with me? Father God, we see so clearly in Scripture that you want to be at the center of our lives, that you would come into this world, Jesus, to be amongst people like us. That you would love us, forgive us, Jesus, that you would die for us. Tells us all that we need to know about the kind of influence you want to have in our lives. But God, we got to confess there's things that compete. People's programs, all sorts of things that compete. Help us to see that, Father. Holy Spirit, help us to feel the conviction that this thing in my life is not helping me to be like Jesus. And it needs to go. Convict us, Jesus, to say there's some positive steps I need to take in my life that would help me to be more like Jesus, and I've, I've hesitated. Father, we want to have you at the center. We want Jesus to have the most influence over all of our being. But we are, I am weak. Show us where we're off. Encourage us with your love and lead us to allow you to be the greatest influence that we have. This is what we ask in Jesus' name.